The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey everyone, welcome to the Disability Law Show and uh, we're here for another hour, so uh, stay tuned and contact us please anytime. Savannah or Albert are ready. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. Toll free number when we're not on air. You can have this anytime. 1-855-821-5900 and disabilityrights.ca. You'll want to go there and listen to past radio shows and you'll have links to our TV show as well. So check that out at your leisure. We'll get to that and more about mydisabilityquestions.com here in just a bit. But uh, some stuff to get through uh, today, guys, including a, a pile of emails we want to, uh, we want to read through and dissect but first of all what's uh, what's going on with you pal something uh, again about the travel insurance industry what's up with that that's right john again mm-hmm. very very busy week of course we deal with disability cases all the time but again i'm getting contacted more and more by individuals who as a result of covid had to had to cancel their their travel plans back yeah. in in march and in february and you know some of these trips are scheduled for now and of course as you can see uh, you know, everyone around the globe has not recovered fully from, from this pandemic. It's still ongoing. And the issue that people are contacting me about is because many people have travel insurance. They've purchased travel insurance, uh, and some people have not. Some people have it through their credit cards, whether it's TD or Scotia or BMO or whoever. You have, uh, in many instances, people who are covered for trip cancellation insurance through their car- credit cards. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's been happening is that people have been putting in claims back then from, I would even say, February uh, for trip cancellation, and insurance companies have come back, denied those claims on the basis of uh, the availability of a credit or a voucher. So, so John, basically what that means is that if you had a flight, as an example, and you had to cancel because of COVID, uh, then you put in a claim for trip cancellation, you want reimbursement back for that expense, but the insurance company comes back and says, hold on for a second, Air Transit or Air Canada or WestJet or whoever it is, or perhaps a cruise line or a resort is offering you a credit. And because you have that credit available to you, we don't have to pay you the trip cancellation right. reimbursement. And when I looked at those policies, the specific travel insurance policies that these people are contacting me about, it does not allow the insurance company to do that. Insurance companies cannot do that. You understand? People are, are thinking to themselves, oh, oh, wait, I guess I have a credit, even though it's very speculative. I may not even get to use it because nobody knows when this pandemic will end. Uh, you know, but I guess I can't make a claim here. So, the, you know, several thousands of dollars that I, I've wasted now uh, because I couldn't go on my trip, that's all lost. The insurance company is not paying me. Well, you can stand up for your rights. I understand that the claims are not humongous in the grand scheme of things for insurance companies. But here's the thing, for individuals, for you and I, John, a thousand bucks, two thousand, five thousand dollars for a trip that you're not using and you haven't been able to use and are not getting right. reimbursed for, that's a big deal. So I tell people, look, uh, contact me. I'll have a chat with you. To me, this is, this is based on principle. I mean, on principle, I'm very angry at insurance companies for taking this position. Mm-hmm. Remember that when an insurance company denies your claim, I don't care if this is a travel insurance claim, if it's a house insurance claim, car insurance claim, whatever insurance claim, if they are denying your claim, they have to deny on the basis either that you did not meet the the criteria for, for 
compensation under the right. policy. Yep. So you didn't satisfy the, the criteria set out by the policy or that there is an exclusion that precisely and expressly allows the insurance company to deny you on a certain basis. So if the insurance company, in the case of travel insurance, uh, if they're telling you that because you're getting a credit or a voucher, you're not entitled uh, to cash reimbursement from the insurance company, well, then it should say somewhere in the policy that if you are entitled to a credit or a voucher, you don't get reimbursement. If it doesn't say that, the insurance company cannot take that position. So again, if you're in that situation or you know somebody in that situation, there should be, I would think, tons of people in that situation, John. Feel free to contact me. It won't cost you a dime to speak with me. Uh, I'll, I'll simply review your policy. It won't take me long. I just need to see the deny letter. I need to see the policy. And that's it. And I'll tell you uh, what you can do about that. Yeah. But it's just very, very you know, inappropriate, John. I mean, I, insurance companies are in the business of giving you peace of mind. So, so let's talk about let's talk about disability because this is really generally what we talk about on this yep. show. So let's pivot to disability and let me tell you about an interesting email exchange I've had with an individual from BC. Of course, remember we have offices in Ontario and British Columbia, and we help people who have been denied long-term disability. So this individual says to me that they've suffered con a concussion two years ago, and they've undergone extensive therapies, various physio, vision therapy, massage, a whole bunch of different therapies. Now, this person ha attended recently an assessment with an insurance company's physiotherapist and occupational therapist. Now, here's the thing. Remember, we always talk about a claimant's obligation to go to an assessment that has been scheduled by the insurance company? Well, in this case, this person went to those assessments. But here's the thing. Those assessors, in addition to providing their opinions to the insurance company, recommended that this person go to them for treatments. So this physiotherapist and occupational therapist hired by the insurance company are being paid by the insurance company are offering now to treat this individual who's contacted me. And, and, and so, you know, this person emails me and says, look, I would rather go with my own therapists. Do I have an obligation to go to the therapist that the insurance company has sent me to? And initially, I didn't really understand the context of the question. So I actually asked this person, are we talking about you know, are we talking about long-term disability? Are we talking right. about an appointment for treatment versus an assessment? So no, this person confirmed it's an appointment. These are appointments for, for therapy with insurance-approved assessors. So here's the thing. Here's what this person wrote to me. Get this. Uh, she said, uh, the appointments in question are for treatment. However, the physio that I had with this, with this person that I was sent to for the, you know, that's being paid by the insurance company was so aggressive. I'm quoting now was so aggressive. I threw up afterwards and I had excruciating pain that night. I would much rather continue with my own therapist if possible. I honestly don't feel these professionals have my best interests at heart. You, you get this, John, this is a prime example. I just read you these quotes. Yeah. Okay. From this person who contacted me, if you are dealing with a long-term disability claim or know someone who is, you have to understand Unless the LTD policy specifically obligates you to get therapy or treatments from a specific provider or, or, or clinic, you don't have to go to that provider and clinic that the insurance company is sending you for treatments. And I have yet to see, and maybe Albert can chime in too, I have yet to see any LTD policy that says, by name, you got to go to this therapist for treatments, you got to go to this doctor for treatments, you got to go to this clinic for treatments. It doesn't exist. I've never seen it. It's different if they ask you to go for an assessment, but right. for treatments, go to people you trust 
especially if you've already been receiving treatments from certain individuals, from certain practitioners, and those treatments are helping you. You know, you don't change horses mid-race. You just, it's unnecessary, especially here. And, you know, I don't know these therapists that this person is being sent to that are being paid by the insurance company. Maybe they're great therapists. I have no idea. But I'm always suspicious when the insurance company tells my clients, I want you to go see that therapist for treatments. Well, why are you so insistent on my client going to see your therapist that you're paying for? Is it because maybe down the road that therapist will uh, uh, crank out a report that says that my client is able to go back to work when really they are not? You know, I'm suspicious. And, and here you go. Here's a person that I've been exchanging emails to uh, 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 with this past week. And I've given her the advice. I've told her exactly what I'm telling her listeners. Uh, you have no obligation to go and get treatments from the therapists, practitioners, doctors, clinics that the insurance company is telling you to go to unless there's something specific in the policy that obligates you to do it. Now, I want to draw a quick distinction. I know I've been talking for a while here. I'm sure that Albert wants to chime in. Uh, If you're in a situation where you're not getting any therapy and uh, it's agreed that a certain mode of therapy is going to help you and the insurance company is providing you with an option for that therapy, so let's say a psychologist, for example, uh, and and you can't find a psychologist or you can't get a psychologist and and it's clear that you need psychological treatments, well, then you have an obligation to get treatments. You have an obligation under the policy and, and, and through general you know, principles of law uh, to get treatments to try and get better. It's called the doctrine of mitigation, the principle of mitigation. You need yep. to get better. Uh, so in, in that kind of a situation, it's a bit more complicated because you do have to get treatments. And if the only option is the person that the insurance company is offering, well, then you may have to go see that person. Otherwise, uh, the insurance company could take the position that you're not engaging in meaningful and reasonable treatments for your condition. You're not trying to get better, and that is a breach of the policy. But generally speaking, if you have your own therapist, if you can get recommendations from your family doctor or other doctors or friends uh, for a clinic or a therapist or therapist that can help you, go to these individuals rather than the, the individuals that the insurance company is selling you to go to. Albert, I'm sure you've come across this quite a lot, right? Yeah, I've seen it time and time again, and you're very right. There's I've yet to see one policy that says you have to go to a specific person or a specific clinic to go and get treatment. So really it boils down to, are, is what you're doing reasonable? Are you going out and get, getting treatment? If you are, you don't need to follow what the insurance company is telling you to do. Follow what your doctors are telling you to do. It's plain and simple. The number, guys, one 821 5900 to reach out to Savannah or Albert anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to some emails here very shortly. What uh, what do you got going on, Albert? So I'll be quick here because I know we've talked about this before, but I just signed up a new client who I'm going to represent for both short-term disability and long-term disability benefits. Oh. And after signing her up uh, and initiating a notice of, notice of claim, we actually found out that her short-term disability was paid by her employer. So why is this interesting? It's interesting because uh, her employer actually fired her six months prior to me engaging with her, and her employer made her sign a release. And it was one of those catch-all releases that gets uh, her to sign away absolutely everything that may or may not relate to that employer. And that's problematic because now we found out that her short-term disability was paid for by her own uh, by her own employer, 
But now, because she signed away her rights, she actually can't get that short-term disability. And to give you numbers that she's given away here, uh, her employment severance and termination package was only for about five or $10,000. And her short-term disability is for a full year. So we're talking about $50,000 altogether that she, that she could have been entitled to that she's no longer going to be able to get. And this is why you need to always hire someone who handles both employment law and short-term disability disputes because they really go hand-in-hand all the time, time and time again. I know Savannah's talked about this uh, countless times, and there's a reason for this, because you need someone, when you're reviewing that employment release, to make sure that they know how this is going to impact any other uh, any other claims that you might have, including long-term disability ones or short-term disability yeah. ones. And it's such a shame. Now she's missing out on about $40,000, uh, we're going to have to look to other ways to try and recover it, but it's really just a headache you don't want to get into. Guys, let's take a, a quick break here. we got so much more to get to. In the meantime, write this number down. Reach out to uh, to Albert or Savan anytime. Waiting for your call. Have a chat at least. one 855 821-5900 is the way to go. The website, disabilityrights.ca. And for email, which we'll get to after this, uh, help at disabilityrights.ca as well. Disability Law Show right here, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. We're uh, we're coming at you all, all kinds of different ways to uh, to reach out to the guys. No problem. You can call one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we're going to use in a couple minutes here. Get to some of those. Feel free to write one in. And any other time, uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. Website's been around for a long time. Very useful. You can go ask your questions there, type them in, leave it there. They will get answered. There is an extensive database as well of previously asked questions. Yours might be there. You can do a search and uh, read the responses. If not, the guys will get to it after you uh, you leave your question there. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. Before I get to some more emails here, uh, Savan, you had one more uh, one more thing to talk about. What was it? Yeah, John. Um, so we had a question posted on mydisabilityquestions.com from Amber go. in Abbotsford. Yeah. And and here here's what she wrote. I'll read that to you and then we can dissect it. She stated, I'm currently on LTD through my company's group plan through, uh, and then she gives the name of the employer, for just under a year now. And they have sent me an education form asking for my education, computer skills, and if I want to speak with a vocational rehabilitation specialist. What is this? Should I answer yes or no? I am not yet recovered. I assume they are trying to figure out the fit for my job versus any job scenario. I only have a high school education and went straight to my current workplace where I've been for over 20 years and make very good money, so I'm not sure where a vocational specialist would fit in. I don't think there are any accommodations that could be made, but I'm thinking I should say yes, or it will appear as if I'm refusing uh, to, to have them try. Any advice? So this is quite common. People contacting me uh, all the time about this this uh, type of an issue where the adjuster, the, the LTD adjuster, uh, contacts the claimant and says, 
you know, we're, we, we want to understand a bit more about your work history, uh, your, your vocational training. We want to understand about your skill set. We may want to have you seen by a vocational expert, somebody who specializes in vocations and jobs, occupations. Yeah. Uh, we may want you to be seen for a transferable skills uh, assessment. Uh, and that's, of course, an assessment that tries to figure out if you have any skills uh, that can be transferred to a different occupation. Now, usually you see this kind of, uh, of an interaction between an adjuster and a claimant uh, after one year, let's say between the one year of being on LTD and the two-year mark. And the reason why that is, of course, is because, as, as most of our listeners know who've been listening to us for a long time, to get LTD for the first two years, generally, in most policies, you have to demonstrate that you cannot do your own occupation. You can't do uh, the basic tasks, the most essential tasks of your own occupation. But beyond the two-year mark, the test uh, broadens. Now it's no longer can you do your own occupation, it's can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. You see, that's why they want you to be seen by a vocational assessor or a transferable skills assessor. They want to understand if they can say, if they can come back and say, look, yes, we recognize you cannot do your own occupation, but look, we identified 10 other occupations you may be able to do. Now, here's the thing. If they want you to be seen by one of those assessors, of course, we talked about this, you have to go and be seen by one of those assessors. It's just part of the, the you know, the, the, the adjudication of the, of the claim. Under the policy, you have to go and do this. And you have to provide them with this information as well. But, but in many, many instances, John, I have seen people come back to me anxious, angry, upset, and fearful because the insurance company comes back and says, look, we identified these five occupations or 10 occupations or 15, and based on the paper review, based on what we've seen here, we think you can do one of those occupations. So guess what? You no longer qualify for LTD beyond the two-year mark. And of course, when people contact me in a panic, it's because just like this lady here, they tell me, look, my education is limited. There's no way that I can do any of those occupations. Uh, perhaps I'm a bit older and, I'm, and it's not you know, realistic for me to be able to get this kind of a, of, 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 of a new occupation. Uh, you know, I'll be competing with the newer generation. So you know, what I tell people is, is, look, it really comes down to what your doctors say. If your doctors agree that you are disabled from really any occupation for which you're suited for, uh, then at the end of the day, the insurance company, even if they cut you off or they stop your benefits, we can help you. We can help you force the insurance company pay you what you are owed. This is crucial to understand. The fact that the insurance company has come to a determination that is not realistic, that you can do something that you know you cannot do, that your doctors agree you cannot do, is not right. It's, it's not right. And it's something that can be challenged, and we challenge it each and every day, John. So, you, you know, for people out there, if you're in that situation, you are not helpless. If you are concerned the way Amber is here, you can shoot me an email, you can call me, you can post your question on mydisabilityquestions.com. But really, at the end of the day, the fact that the insurance company says, we think that based on our assessment, you can do all these other occupations, so therefore, we're not going to pay you. Uh-huh. beyond the two-year mark, that's not the end of the analysis. Don't simply assume that the insurance company doesn't owe you any more money. That's how they deal with these claims. Remember, the insurance company's goal is not to get you better. The insurance company's goal is to make themselves money. And one of the ways they make money is to find any excuse they can latch onto, no matter how ridiculous, to to tell you that your benefits are coming to an end, when really it doesn't actually take that much to challenge them. 
And, and I'm saying this from experience, right? Now, here's the one thing I want to make sure you understand. If the insurance company has told you that they want your, your education history, your work history, they want you to be seen by an assessor, assume that this is coming. Assume that it's yeah. likely, it's more likely than not, that this is going to end with the insurance company telling you that they're going to cut off your benefits either at the two-year mark or around there. You should not be waiting for them to tell you that. You should be contacting us immediately so we can actually help you with your specific situation and give you some advice. And I want to stress this. This is at no cost. We will speak with you at no cost. We will give you those tips. They're customized to your situation. You know, Albert and I do this all the time. Other members of our team do this all the time. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if we can help you avoid that cutoff, that's fantastic. And if we can't, at least you'll know you've done everything you could, everything that was in your power to stop the insurance company from cutting off your benefits. But if they do, again, remember, we are here for you. I stress this a lot to people, John, and gives them peace of mind. We are here for you. We will not let the insurance company abuse you or bully you. In fact, oftentimes when we get involved, we push extremely hard back. Okay, We protect our clients. We need to give them the space they need to get better. But again, Albert, I'm sure, again, you've seen this all the time. You talk to clients all the time, to individuals out there who contact you with this same concern that the insurance company is cutting them off because they're telling them that they can do some other occupation. And meanwhile, this person comes to you and says, there is no way I can do that other occupation. It's just not realistic, right? I mean, you, you must see this. Absolutely. And usually it's pretty unfounded. It's, it's maybe because someone has gone to the grocery store and... <laughs> They've advised that insurance company that they went to the grocery store, and the insurance company is pretty opportunistic with these things. They hop on absolutely anything they can wow. to try to not pay. And a number of times, too, where they just confused uh, my now clients, uh, the number of people that have actually had come to me and say, my benefits end after two years because that's the maximum I can get paid. And they're told that this policy actually only covers them for two years. It's, it's nonsense. Uh, when most of these standard policies are covering you until age 65, and most of my clients are in their 40s and 50s, they have tons of years left in their policy. Yet they're being told the information that's being conveyed to them is that they only have two years on the policy. It's, it's, they're, they're just getting misinformation here. That's right. John, we Guys, want to move time. on. Yep. Sorry. Sorry, yep. Bob. We, I think we got time to get uh, at least get started on an email here as we uh, we continue on. Let's uh, let's get to it. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Sandra, your first up. Sandra says, guys, my uh, good friend was denied LTD long term disability last year. She's often suicidal because of a history of sexual abuse. Uh, she saw a law firm. She hired a law firm to defend her, but they haven't been able to do anything for her. They helped her appeal the denial twice. But the insurance company keeps denying her claim, and at this point, she's living with her parents because she has no money. She had to sell her apartment. Can't she appeal her case to someone outside the insurance company? Wow. I'm going to have to uh, fight Albert for this one, but let, let me let me start, start, start this off. So first of all, Sandra, uh, you are a good friend for contacting us on her behalf, and, and I, I hope that your friend knows that. She's in a very bad state, no question about that. Uh, it's just absolutely horrible here. I mean, John, just imagine. I don't know what the insurance company was thinking here uh, in denying her the claim, but even more so, I don't know what this law firm that she went to was thinking yeah. in trying to appeal that decision. Remember, I mean, we talked this endlessly. These appeals are nonsense. And you know, Sandra's saying, or she's asking, can she appeal her case to someone outside the insurance company? The answer is very simple, no. 
there is no one to appeal this to. There is no ombudsperson who's going to come from up on high and suddenly wave a, a wand and force the insurance company, you know, to act the way they should be acting and cover this th- this person. No, the option is really quite simple here, in my view. You forgo these appeals, which are just just nonsense. Again, remember these appeals are basically internal processes that the insurance company has set up. All these insurance companies, they've set up these processes. Uh, they, they, they are under the cover or umbrella of, you know, we are being objective and we're trying to figure out if, if, if you know, th- there is another way to resolve your claim. Give us more documents. We'll have somebody else look at it. Baloney. It's it's wrong. In fact, it's so wrong that sometimes people, because they've been roped into this, lose their chance to actually start a legal claim because by the time they realized then in fact they can just go through a different route, a legal route, they are beyond that two-year mark. Remember, there's a limitation period here you have to be cognizant of. And, and so... You know, what I would tell you, Sandra, is make sure you put your friend in touch with us. We will start a legal claim, and you'll see how quickly this insurance company is going to come to the table. Not just the insurance company, the lawyer that they hire or the lawyer that works for them is likely going to give us a call as soon as we start that legal claim asking to resolve the case. And this is what we see day in and day out. You know how many times, John, we've seen situations, and again, Albert can chime in too. He's had that experience. James too. Other people at the firm where people have been fighting and fighting their long-term disability insurance companies. They've been appealing and appealing. They've been doing everything under the sun. A year has passed. A year and a half has passed. Then they come to us. They retain us. We send a letter to the insurance company asking for their file, or we start a legal claim. And guess what? In many instances, you know what happens, John? The insurance company contacts us and says, Oh, right. we made a mistake. This person should not have been cut off. Let us reinstate that person. It's it's crazy. In some cases, they do that in reaction to a letter from us asking for their file, not even demanding anything. That tells you something. It tells you that these appeals are useless. It tells you that these insurance companies are in the business of doing this, of, of making money for themselves on the backs of people like Sandra's friend who is suicidal because of a history of sexual abuse, which is absolutely atrocious. I actually think in that particular case, depending on the basis for the denial, there might even be a claim here for Sandra's friend for extra contractual damages. In other words, punitive damages against the insurance company. And this law firm that she went to, I don't know which law firm it is, but as far as I'm concerned, they don't know what they're doing. Again, I don't know the ins and outs, but I have seen enough individuals come to me after they've consulted and hired lawyers, paid them up front, which we never do, by the way. We never take a cent up front when we're dealing with a long-term disability claim uh, and, and get nothing for these people. And remember, John, this is what also makes me angry. When these law firms are lawyers, when they take money up front from people who don't have long-term disability and sometimes who are, have lost their jobs, they're living off of lines of credits and uh, borrowing money from friends and some of them lose their houses and apartments and you as a lawyer have the goal to take money up front from these people it's wrong you have the right to do it but it's wrong in my view and that's not how we operate one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We keep mentioning that number. Write it down, though. And if you're in that situation, just call. Uh, you don't have to be stuck there. The email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And you have any other questions you want to uh, you want to type away and get those answered? Mydisabilityquestions.com. Lots more on the way. We'll get to more of your emails as we continue the uh, Disability Law Show on Global News Radio.
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. You'll want to reach out to Savan or Albert or a member of the team, James, tomorrow. There's so many amazing, amazing people working there. You can do so a bunch of different ways. The phone call first, toll free, obviously, one 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. Got another email uh, to go here. Just came in. Albert, I'm going to throw this one towards you. David says, hi, guys. Uh, My 31-year-old son was in an accident with a tractor trailer four years ago. He suffered a brain injury and terrible fractures all over his body. At the time, he was working as an electrician, and he's never been able to get back to work because of his brain injury. He still has significant memory and comprehensive issues and lives with me and my wife now. His injuries are likely permanent. He has been on LTD long-term disability for the past two and a half years or so, and now a new case manager has been assigned to him and uh, had seen him by an insurance doctor who said that my son should get retrained to do something else for work. My son can't work and likely won't be able to work because of how bad his brain injury is. His doctors have confirmed this. Uh, I'm afraid that the insurer will cut off his benefits. How can we avoid that from happening, and what can we do if it does eventually happen? So this is exactly what we're talking about. David, I'm uh, very glad that your son has your support. A lot of people that contact us really just don't have any support system, so it's good that you're really in his corner here. Uh, The good thing is that... Uh, your son's doctors are very supportive. Uh, they've been supportive that he has memory and comprehension issues. Uh, it's clear he has a brain injury, terrible fractures. So we're dealing with some very significant injuries and some significant impa- impairments, which are obviously going to affect his ability to work. Uh, it's surprising and not surprising at the same time because insurance companies do uh, act like this all the time. But just from reading, just from hearing this, it's very, very, very clear that your son is clearly unable to work. Uh, So what you need to do is you need to get your doctor or his doctor and anyone else that is really treating him to endorse the fact that he can't do any type of work at this time. And really, really that's what's going to win the case at the end of the day. He has his own doctor support. It's not going to matter what one insurance doctor said over one three-hour period where he might have seen your son really the more compelling doctors are going to be the ones that are regularly seeing your son. So your son's probably seeing a neurologist, your son's probably seeing uh, a physiotherapist for some of the physical injuries. Hopefully he's going to a pain specialist. Hopefully his family doctor is supportive. And you have a lot of support. So really what you, what you need to do here is get your son, get your son, or maybe you should do it for him um, and get your, get your son's doctors to really write down, uh, that he can't do any type of work at this time because clearly he cannot. Uh, get get them to, as well, review the report of that insurance doctor. Uh, there's usually a report that's formed after um, after someone like your son is assessed and get them to scrutinize absolutely everything. And if, in spite of that, they say that your son needs to get retrained and go to work and you obviously can't, or if they cut him off, give us a call. Give me a call immediately. I'm more than happy to talk talk to you and your son, uh, and uh, we we will make sure that they either do not cut him off, or if they do cut him off, that uh, we 
quickly and uh, quickly and pretty painlessly get to a resolution for your son. So that's really what I recommend here. Anything else to that? Yeah, there's a few things that I want to add to what Albert said, John. I agree with everything he said. I think one of the things that uh, hit me here is that David's son was in an accident with a tractor trailer. So I don't know the specifics of that case or that situation. Um, and I don't know if there was a legal claim generated because of that. You know, was was David's son at fault or was he not at fault? Because if he was not at fault, I hope that he started a legal claim for that accident as well. Because in addition to the income losses, there's going to be other types of losses that he can claim for compensation, uh, pain and suffering, uh, future treatments, medical treatments, things like that, housekeeping expenses, things like that. This, this is very, very important to understand. Uh, in addition to that, uh, David says that his son has been on LTD for the past two and a half years. So if he has a general type of a policy, the type of policy Albert and I see all the time, that means that he's now beyond that two-year yeah. mark, right? This is absolutely key because it means the insurance company has already agreed and, and, and really accepted the fact, based on the medical evidence that was provided, that he is disabled from performing any occupation for which he is suited for most likely because of his severe injuries. So the fact that there is a new case manager here, and this case manager has now had him seen by an insurance doctor, to me, that you know smells rotten. That, And I think to a judge, that would smell rotten, right? Because it almost seems like this new adjuster had a mandate going into this, you know, g getting involved in this case, to try and find a way, uh, an excuse to cut David Sonoff benefits. And again, the reason why that's important, other than the fact that we can help his son recover those benefits from the insurance company, is it may give rise again to extra contractual damages, punitive damages, aggravated damages. These are damages to punish the insurance company, to compensate the victim by horrendous conduct by an insurance company, which in this case, just from what David writes, it is clear as day here. So I, I echo everything Albert said. Uh, so, you know, David, we'll be happy to speak with you with your son, but what, everything Albert said is correct. You need to get, or your son needs to make sure that the doctors confirm in writing everything that Albert said, that your son is disabled from being able to work in any occupation, and, uh, you know, get a hold of that report from the insurance doctor. John, one other thing here. Yeah. Many people contact me and tell me that they, they've asked for the insurance company's, uh, for, you know, for the report that was generated by the insurance assessor. And they're telling me, well, the adjuster is not giving it to me. Here's the thing. Unfortunately, you actually cannot, uh, um, you, you can't force them to give you that report. The only way an insurance company is obligated to give you that report, believe it or not, is if there is a legal claim, claim initiated yeah. against the insurance company because then under the rules of procedure, uh, the, 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 the defendant, in this case the insurance company, must disclose all of this documentation along with their file. So once we get involved and start that claim, the insurance company actually has no choice. They must provide that report and then we can hit back. Uh, and again, this is just crazy, John. I mean, these kind of scenarios, unfortunately, are things that we see each and every week. We'll take a break, guys. Try to get to some uh, at least a couple more emails with our remaining time. In the meantime, one eight five five eight. 
800-521-5900 is the number to reach out to uh, Albert or Savannah, member of the team. Do it anytime or send an email along. You might get it read on air here or uh, take an otherwise help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. And for any other questions, we've uh, referred to it right off the top of the show, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll continue Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. Uh, you want to reach out, help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's get into another email, guys. The last few minutes of the show. This time up, it's going to be Jesse. Jesse says, I've been on long term disability. For over two years, because of vertigo and depression, I applied for CPP disability when my adjuster told me to, and I was rejected last month. Then I got a call from my adjuster saying that they don't think that I'm disabled from working if I was rejected by CPP disability, and my benefits are going to end. I don't know what to do. Can I appeal this? I know how much you guys love that word. Yeah, um, John, this is uh, this is absolutely ridiculous, obviously. I mean, let's start with the fact here that uh, Jesse says that he's been on LTD for over two years for vertigo and depression. So clearly the insurance company has already agreed. They've already accepted the fact that he is disabled from any occupation. And then the insurance company says to him, apply for CPP disability. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Albert and I tell people all the time to apply for CPP disability if, in fact, you are disabled and continue to be disabled. Uh, But here's the thing. An insurance company cannot cut off your benefits because CPP disability denied your claim. They can't do that. Those are two separate tests. Those are two separate programs. One of them is run through the government, the CPP program, and the other one is a private one through an insurance company. Now, the insurance company can take the position, if they want, that your medical documentation currently do not support you being on LTD. That's fine. I'm not saying it's right. I think that if they say that despite the fact that the person's doctors, that Jesse's doctors are saying he is disabled, I think the insurance company is going to be in hot water and we can easily force them to the table and pay Jesse what he's owed. But if the basis for their uh, rejection or cutoff of his benefits is that CPP disability rejected his claim, that is ludicrous. It would never hold up in court. I'm telling you right now, it would never even get to court. I suspect that a case like this, Jesse, if, if we got involved, we would be able to resolve it fairly quickly. And to answer your question at the end here about whether or not you can appeal this, of course you can appeal this. Of course. Would you want to? Absolutely not. Remember that these appeals are nonsense. These appeals just take you around in circles. They're internal processes. And you know, one of the things that I've said before, John, is that I have now mentioned uh, quite a few times on the show and have contacted multiple organizations and insurance companies asking them for their statistics of how many of these LTD appeals are actually successful. Not once if I got in a response, not once if I've been told we have those statistics, even though I personally believe they do. I can't believe that they have no statistics whatsoever, right? I mean, it's all about the money for them. So would you not think that they would have these kinds of statistics? The reality is that they don't want to disclose it, I think, because you know, this is as rare as getting hit by, by you know, by lightning or winning sure. uh, the lottery. I, I don't have any numbers to support that, but if appeals were so common, if success of appeals was so common, don't you think they would share that with people? 
certainly when I you know mention this on the radio and on TV quite often, don't you think they would want to rebut me here and say, no, we have statistics. You know, 50% of these appeals are actually successful. I, I guarantee you, John, I guarantee you that if we saw those statistics, we would be appalled. So, so the reality is, should you appeal these denials, these cutoffs? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are asking for pain. You are asking for delays. You are asking to be without money for a prolonged period of time. And in some instances, if you know you only start a claim beyond the two-year mark of when you were first denied or cut off disability, you could be out of luck to force the insurance company even through the legal route. So you have to be very careful. Do not appeal these things. Contact us. You know, we'll, we'll talk to you, again, for free. We will give you the information you need. And if at the end of our conversation you still want to appeal, by all means, at least now you've done this with open eyes. You understand uh, you know, the, the, the pros and the cons and, and everything around there. And, and we'll support you. We'll support you because ultimately uh, you know, we want you to succeed. We want you to be able to get paid what you owe, Jesse. So give us a shout. Uh, after this show, we'll talk to you about your specific case. I want to see the denial letter specifically, and and you know we'll take it from there, and we'll be able to help you. Trust me, Jesse, we'll be able to help you. Well, I think one of the problems too is appeal quite quickly turns into appeals, and then you can, like you said, run yeah. out of time. I, we we've had cases, we've had emails where people have done this two, three, four times, getting close to that two year mark, and then they're uh, they're SOL at that point. That's no good. No, it, it's not good at all. And Albert, you've seen this too, right? I mean, you know, when people contacting us, uh, I, I would say the people that I generally talk to are split between having rejected once through an appeal, and then I, I have you know fifty percent other people that have been rejected twice or three times of an appeal. In other words, some people actually, you know, think that maybe the second and third appeals are going to be more objective. When the reality is, again, you are appealing to the exact same people who rejected you in the first place. Exactly. Usually it's the exact same entity, but sometimes it's even the exact same person. What do you think the chances are of me of me saying now I've made this decision, and me saying, "Hey, you know what I, you know what? Three months ago, everything that I wrote down in the denial letter to you, it was completely wrong." No one's going to say that. No insurance company is going to say that. The chances of them overturning their decision are almost slim to none. I've seen very, very, very few cases in which appeals have actually worked. And the only cases in which they have worked has been where, where an insurance company was completely misinformed as to what was going on with that one person. And then all of a sudden, maybe they find out that that person actually has a broken back because an MRI said so. But otherwise, in most instances, they're not going to overturn their decision. They just won't. Guys, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for another week. Appreciate you tuning in and all the correspondence through email. You can con- uh, continue to do that anytime. Again, it is help at disabilityrights.ca. And other, other questions can be asked at the website, mydisabilityquestions.com. And, of course, the phone number. Have a chat. It'll cost you nothing just to get down the uh, the right direction on where you uh, where you should be headed for sure. Call Savan. Call uh, Albert. Call a member of the team, one 855 and we'll see you again next time disability law show on global news radio the proceeding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 toronto